Welcome to Playing Big, a podcast about what it means to play big in life and in business, and about changing the world with big ideas and big action. I'm your host, Blaine Fyan, Chief Evangelist here at True Footage, and I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to Playing Big. Happy, happy new year and welcome to 2022. Another revolution around the sun, another year wiser, hopefully another year better, hopefully than you were the year before, and another year to take some chances, make some moves, push some projects forward, and another year to become the person you want to be. Now, quite often, we place a potentially, not everybody, but potentially unnecessary amount of emphasis on the changing of the year, which is essentially just a changing of days and the numbers that we might write on a check, if anybody still even uses those. The statistics repeatedly show that less than 25% of people are still chipping away at their New Year's resolutions by the 30-day mark, and less than 8% of people actually hit any of their resolutions. Something like 92% of people have blown their resolutions by mid-February and are back to their old way of being. Resolutions be damned. In this week's episode, I'm going to tell you a story that I tell either right at the end of the year or at the beginning of a new year as a way to kind of set the frame for how I'm going to encourage you all to think about goal setting, to think about New Year's resolutions, who you ultimately want to be, and of course, why. Now, I learned this story that I'm about to tell. I learned it from Darren Hardy, the founder of Success Magazine. He's written some books. The Compound Effect, I think, is one of his more popular. And he is a well-known success coach to millions of people. It is a story, probably more of a parable, that helps express the importance of one very important ingredient for success. The parable is about two warring tribes living in the Andes Mountains of South America that not so peacefully coexisted. And the only reason that they coexisted at all was because one tribe lived in the lowlands and the other high in the mountain range. One day, the Highlanders invaded the lowlanders, plundering their village, and they kidnapped a little baby boy. They vanished back up into the mountains with the child, essentially holding it as a hostage. The lowlanders pushed to action at the disappearance of one of their own. They gathered a group of their best fighting men, their warriors of the tribe, to go recover the child. The problem was that they didn't know how to climb the mountain. After all, they were lowlanders. They had no need to go into the mountain. And in fact, going into the mountain probably meant certain death because that's where the highlanders lived. They didn't know the trails that the mountain people used or how to track them in the high bush and steep terrain. Even so, this was a big deal. So they ventured out to climb the mountain and bring their baby home. The men first tried one method of climbing, and then, of course, they tried another, and they failed. They tried one trail and then another, and they failed. And after several days of intense effort, however, they had climbed only a few hundred feet. Feeling hopeless, defeated, and helpless, the lowlanders decided the cause was lost, the child was lost, and they prepared to return to the village below, defeated. Now, as they were packing their gear for the descent, they looked over and they saw the baby's mother walking down the very mountain that they hadn't figured out how to climb. As she got closer, they saw that she had the baby boy strapped to her back. They couldn't believe their eyes. One man greeted her and asked, how did you climb this mountain? How did you do this when we, the strongest and most able men in the village, couldn't do it? The mother looked intently in the eyes of the man and simply said, it wasn't your baby. The reason so many people rely on the new year to give them newer, renewed energy and commitment is because 
whatever they choose as worthwhile goals or resolutions going into a new year, quite often is not their baby. Saying they want to get into better shape, for example, maybe lose some weight, that's a big one. Make more money, who doesn't? Or whatever they choose is usually based on what they think sounds good or what they think they should be doing based on somebody else's standards. There is no doubt we probably all should be focusing a little bit more on our overall health and wellness, especially now what we know about the pandemic or with the pandemic and our health and wellness and how important that is. We probably all should also be focusing on setting some goals for our life and our businesses. However, until the thing you choose to focus on carries the same weight and importance as saving the baby had for that mother in the parable, when the going gets tough, most people simply don't have the stick to to keep going. Why? Because it's not your baby. If it was your baby, you'd fight tooth and nail for it. You'd be willing to give up your life trying to save it, and you'd come up with as much creativity, clarity, gumption, motivation, and inspiration as you could muster to make it happen. Most of us with children can relate to the concept of sacrificing your life to save your child. I don't even have to think about it. It wouldn't take even one second for me to choose my life or my child's. I would sacrifice my life in an instant to save one of my children, and in fact, I would sacrifice my life in an instant to save your child's life. Those are easy choices for most parents. Thankfully, we typically aren't faced with such binary and drastic choices day to day. I don't have to ask each day, is it going to be me or my kid? I typically have to ask, do I work on this task or that task? Benign things, business-related tasks. The questions we tend to ask ourselves each morning are questions like, how many meetings do I have today? How many appraisal files are sitting on my desk to be completed? Where am I going today? What am I going to eat? What needs to be paid? We ask questions about what needs to get done to get through the day somewhat successfully. The problem with this way of being is that each of our days is, more or less, a repetition of the prior day with some minor detail changes. And we tend not to think about it this way, but if you just take a look back at yesterday, the day before, and the day before, they all tend to look fairly similar. Each successive day is more or less a repeating of the prior day. Why? Well, because we're pattern-seeking creatures, and we find great comfort in the patterns of similarity and familiarity that we create around our lives. Anything that disrupts that pattern is seen as a problem. And then all of our resources go toward getting back to familiarity. In essence, we subconsciously fear the unknown and we fear anything that will throw us off of our routines and our patterns of familiarity. Now, unfortunately, oftentimes, the only way to really grow is to do the opposite, to plunge deep into the unfamiliar, the uncomfortable, and sometimes even the painful. So what I'd like to do in this episode, my friends, is talk about something I have come to realize is actually more important than goal setting. Along the way, I'm going to do my best to drop some nuggets of why traditional goal setting is fraught with problems. In fact, I usually say goal setting is bullshit. It's fraught with problems, which is why it actually works for so few people. And I'm not saying setting goals for what we'd like to achieve isn't important, just that quite often the goal isn't the issue. It's the system that leads to the need to set that particular goal that is the problem, and it's something rarely considered. Traditional goal setting is about getting a particular result, say less weight, better body composition, more money, less time working, etc. However, the result isn't really the problem. It's the system or the lack of one that has led to the need to lose weight 
get out of shape, not have enough money, work too much. There's a system behind all of it. And then to compound this problem, we go back to the story about it not being our baby and there not being enough passion and energy around that particular goal to sustain it long term. And in that case, goal setting isn't the problem. Goal selection, choosing the right goal, is the problem. Selecting the right goals has two parts to it. One, choosing the rewards we think we want. And two, choosing the amount of sacrifice and pain that it's likely going to cost us to head toward that particular goal, which leads us to the topic of today's show. Fear. One of the aspects rarely talked about when it comes to the topic of achievement of goals, habits, patterns, and why some do and some don't reach their goals is the aspect of fear. Fear is one of the most powerful emotions we as humans suffer from. We all have fears that live within us, and those fears, whether you know it or not, dictate and drive what we will and won't do in any given situation. So while we do our best to fool ourselves into thinking that by just picking a worthwhile goal, one that is, of course, specific and measurable and achievable and realistic and time-bound, those are smart goals, right? We've all heard those. And if we just pick the right one and we make them smart, all our problems will be solved. What we really should be asking is, what do I fear? So instead of heading into 2022 by asking, what do I want? Or what do I want to achieve? Or how can I make 2022 my greatest year ever? We should start out every new year by asking ourselves, what is it I truly fear and why? It's not our lack of motivation or inspiration that holds us back. We all come out of the gate fired up, ready to go. It's not that we can't articulate what it is we really want. It's that we have gotten really good at avoiding and pushing down what we fear. And what we fear is typically what gets in the way of really living. And it's also the thing that gets in the way of achieving our goals. So get out your pen and paper, get out your iPad and Apple pencil, get out your laptop and whatever note program you use, whatever you use to take notes on the most important things in your life, because this might very well be one of them. What I am about to teach you, my friends, is an exercise that I learned many years ago from the great Tim Ferriss with some modifications from authors Mark Manson and James Clear. James Clear wrote the Atomic Habits book, great book. If you haven't read it, read it. Mark Manson wrote several books in a series with the F word in it. So this exercise, at least as it's taught by Tim Ferriss, is called fear setting, the fear setting exercise. And you can find his, just Google Tim Ferriss fear setting on YouTube and you can see the exercise. As opposed to goal setting. Now, it's not exactly the opposite of goal setting, but can maybe be thought of as one of the most important parts of any real effective goal selection and goal setting exercise. If we don't address what it is we might fear first, all of the goals we might select as worthy pursuits will likely end up like the 92% of New Year's resolutions by the end of February. Dead. That's where they all end up. Literally 92% of New Year's resolutions. Now we know, we can't necessarily call New Year's resolutions goals, but many people think they are. They go, I'm gonna lose weight this year. I'm gonna join a gym. And they do. And the gyms all thank you. Because gym, I, I talked about this in prior podcasts many times. I used to be in the, not not exactly the gym business, but one of the largest mar- living student martial arts and leadership academies in the country. And we kind of hoped that all of our students wouldn't show up on the same day. I mean, we had hundreds and hundreds of, of students spread out across a bunch of different martial arts we were teaching. If they all showed up on the same day, they wouldn't fit in the building. 
You can't have that. And a gym can't have 10,000 members and have them all show up on the same day. What they're hoping for is they sign up 10,000 members and then they only have something like eight, nine, 10% of them ever really show up. And the rest of the people just kind of fade away, but they still have to pay. That's what gyms are based on, the business model. So what you need for this exercise, well, you're going to need two sheets of paper. I think Tim Ferriss says three, but let's conserve paper. Front and back of one page and then a third page. Heck, you can do it on one sheet. Half of one sheet, bottom half of the second, and then flip the page over and you can do the rest of it on the back. But there are three parts to this. Or, of course, you have your electronic device, no paper needed. What you put on the first page across the top from left to right are the words fear, in the middle, prevent, and on the right-hand side, fix. Fear, prevent, fix. If you watch the Tim Ferriss video, I think he says, he calls it uh, define, prevent, and repair. I personally, it, it flows more when I say, what is my fear? How can I prevent it? And how can I fix it? FPF, fear, prevent, fix. Now, under each word, write the numbers one through 10. What we want to do in this particular a part of the exercise, is to first write down all of our fears around a particular thing. Don't tell me what you're excited about. I want to know what you fear about that thing. If you're doing this for business, let's say, then pick something you'd like to do, be, or have, what you would typically have called a goal prior to meeting me, and then write down what you fear about doing, being, or having that particular thing. So let, let's say, for example, you want to get your SRA designation. This is for the appraisers listening. My realtor and lender friends, SRA is, a, is an advanced designation that uh, takes years to get and lots of money, and it, it makes you smarter than the average appraiser. So let's say you want to get your SRA, SRA designation. In the left-hand column, under the fear heading, or define, if this was Tim Ferriss's exercise, you read out the 10 things you fear about undertaking that particular goal. So prior to meeting me and hearing this, you would have written, oh, my goal is to get my SRA. No, let's first write out your fears. Maybe you fear the cost. It's going to cost $20,000 between actual cost of the AI classes and then travel and time off and all the other things. Maybe it's more. Write that down as a fear. Maybe it's the time commitment. Oh, gosh, I've got family. I've got this. I've got that. It's going to take a lot of time. I'm afraid of the commitment. Maybe you don't believe you're smart enough. Ooh, this is a big one. Maybe you don't think you can make it. Maybe you believe from the get-go that you'll get halfway through it and something will change and now you're a quitter and you fear being called or labeled a quitter. Whatever the fear, dig deep and list out all of them. Remember, this exercise is just for you. you. I'm not asking you to turn it into me. It's just for you. Nobody else has to see it. So be honest with your fears. In the second column, this is the prevent column, you simply list out all the things you could do right now to prevent that particular fear from becoming a reality. If one of your fears, for example, is the cost, list out how you could prevent that fear from being an issue. You obviously can't prevent the cost. The cost is the cost. But the idea behind this column and this part of the exercise is to address the fear head on, get it out of your head, put it on paper or digitally, and then write out how it can be handled reasonably. Maybe you simply write that you can prevent that fear from stopping you by just budgeting. Just start setting aside an amount of money that you believe getting your SRA designation will cost and then start saving. Okay, that's a prevention me measure. You haven't solved the problem, but we're getting it out on paper. We're building a plan here. We're addressing the most important part, which is the fear. Now, that's just one prevention or fear mitigation strategy for that line item in the fear category. List out five or ten other things 
you could do to address the cost issue. You could get a second job. You could take out a loan. You could uh, put your kids to work and take all their lunch money. Whatever it is, put it in the prevent column. The third column to the far right of the page is the fix category. Now, this is a unique one. This is the category that we use to define how we could fix any situation if it actually came true. Let's say we didn't prevent it, and now our greatest fear has come true. Now we start writing down, we get creative, and we start going, well, if it did come true, how could I fix it? Or as Tim Ferriss uses it, repair it. So let's use the example of what if I'm not smart enough? You, you write that down as the fear. You go, what if I'm not smart enough? That is a fear, and it's a very real one, friends. We define it in the first category. We write, what if I'm not smart enough? What if I can't handle this? We write out the prevention strategies. I could study harder, I could work more, I could do this, I could do this. So we write out the prevention strategies and the ideas in the second category. And then we write out fix-it strategies if it were to actually come to pass or be true. So if you found out midway through your SRA coursework that you weren't smart enough, how would you fix it? Now, I will share with you, this has happened to me more than a few times in my life. In fact, I remember very clearly back in the 90s, 92, I think, taking an advanced econ class at DePaul University in Chicago and realizing realizing about four weeks into that particular class that this class was beyond me. Now, I don't want to necessarily say I wasn't smart enough per se, but it was way more than I was willing to suffer through research and study-wise to get a passing grade. I mean, they were moving fast and they were moving through concepts that I was like, uh, I'm going to have to do some extra studying. So what did I do to fix it? Well, I did what any self-respecting future entrepreneur would do. I dropped the class in a hot second. Now, being a good business owner means being good at resource management. So when you see that something is going to take more resources than, than what the return is likely to be, you make some decisions and you shift some resources. It's the 80-20 rule at work. We've talked about that a lot. You identify the areas, the efforts, the clients, the people, the employees, and the products that deliver 80% of your results, and you then divert resources to those things, usually the smaller portion. 10% of your clients deliver 90% of the results. Maybe it's 20. So I wasn't embarrassed in the least when I dropped that class for essentially not being smart enough. That's essentially what it was. It was simply a decision to divert resources to the areas that would net me the greatest results. I was also working full-time, studying Aikido and Zen meditation, traveling around the world. I was doing a bunch of shit. And I looked, I took this class in about a month and I was like, I do not have time to try to get smart in this particular area. Got to divert resources. Now, if I had known about fear setting back then, I may have listed out the fear of not being smart enough or what if I'm not good enough as one of my fears. My fixed strategy would have been to convince myself that it doesn't matter, that it's okay, that it, it doesn't need to uh, tap at my ego. And one of my fixed strategies might be just drop the class, take the loss, divert resources, and move on. Just because I'm not strong in one area doesn't mean I'm stupid. I'm just not good in that area. In fact, following this same theme, I failed algebra three times in high school, have never passed algebra. I had to be put into the remedial math class. No kidding. It was called consumer's math. We learned how to balance a checkbook and make change from a cash register, which was ironic because my family owned a grocery store. I've talked about many times the ghetto grocery, and I was making change every day. I was good at math. I just couldn't figure out algebra. I didn't understand how letters 
could be fit in next to numbers and how it all, my brain just didn't work that way. So I needed to get the credits to graduate. They put me in remedial math, consumer's math. It was simply beyond what my brain could process and it didn't make any sense to me. The problem wasn't that I wasn't smart enough to pass the class. The problem was that I was wasting my time taking it two more times when I could have been learning something my brain could grasp and then turn that into something useful. Poor resource management on the school's part, poor resource management on my part, trying to cram something into my brain that I just wasn't, it wasn't my, my bag. Was really good at the language part, really good at it honors English, really good at history, really good at creative writing, sucked at math which is ironic because now 21 years of my life have been spent doing advanced math. So write out the worst things your mind can conjure up that might happen if you take a particular step or an action. Then write out what you could do to prevent that thing from actually materializing. Then write out what you would do if fear did actually come true. Excuse me. Then write out what you would do if the fear, the thing you fear, did actually come true and how you could fix it or handle the situation. Fear, prevent, fix. Write out the fear, then write out how you prevent it, then write out how you would fix it if it actually did come to pass. Now, as you're going through the exercise, a very valuable question that Tim Ferriss asks is, has anybody else in the history of time, less intelligent and less driven, figured this out? Actually, this is this is the second part of the exercise. So when he says three pages, this is part of, this is one of the questions you write out. I think you can write this at the bottom of the page. Has anybody else in the history of time less intelligent and less driven than you or me, if you're doing that exercise yourself, figured this out? Now, the chances are pretty decent that somebody has faced the same fear as you and has figured out how to handle it. Now, another valuable question to write on the page is, what might be the benefit of at least attempting this thing And what might be the benefit of having at least some partial success? So let's say you make an attempt and you fail. So what? This would be the example of me taking the the advanced econ class. I made an attempt. I failed. So what? I I actually do remember back to those class. In the first two weeks of the class, I learned the time value of money, which I have kept with me. It's helped me make some really, really key investment decisions over time. I learned from that class. So although the class cost me thousands of dollars, I ended up dropping. I was a little bit embarrassed. I had to deal with my ego for years about it. I've come to terms with it. But I learned some really valuable lessons in the first two weeks. So I took the class. I attempted it. I had some partial success. Are there benefits in making the attempt? Yeah, most likely. What if you come away with only partial success? Are there benefits in that? And I would actually recommend writing out these questions as part of the exercise. Write them on the bottom of the sheet, write them on the back of the sheet, and then pondering on it. Now, the last part of the exercise, and maybe the most important, is to write out three more columns with the headings six months on the left, one year in the middle, and three years. So we're going to look out six months, one year, and three years. This is your cost of inaction list. And this is, in my opinion, maybe one of the most important parts of the exercise. This is where you write out what the cost of inaction would be physically, emotionally, spiritually, and financially if you take no action at all, which by the way, is most people. Take the fears that you wrote out on page one and then translate those into what the cost would be to you and others, meaning you and your family, those around you, those you could help if you became something. And what would the cost be if you did nothing? 
Will you look back on January 1 of next year and realize that you said you wanted to be, do, or have something and you did nothing out of fear? Will you be in the same place next year that you were in last year at this time? The idea and the reality of not hitting a goal is far less important than the idea and reality of staying the same and trying nothing. Instead of asking, what do I want to achieve? We should be asking, what kind of pain do I want? What am I willing to sacrifice and suffer through? And what do I fear around this thing? In my opinion, it is a far worse fate to be in the same place next year because of inaction and fear than it is to attempt something and potentially not reach where you had initially hoped. Try. So I'll end this New Year's episode, my friends, with some wisdom from James Clear, the author of the book Atomic Habits. Setting and achieving goals is a binary activity. We either reach them or we don't. It's called outcome-based training. Did I succeed or did I fail? Setting goals is binary. We either hit the goals or we don't. If we do reach the goal, the result is what? Well, it's temporary and it is often fleeting. I used to say this all the time about in the martial arts, people who reach first degree black belt level, they train, they train, they train, they reach black belt level, and then all of a sudden they get super depressed because they may have spent three, five, six, eight, ten years trying to reach that particular goal. They reach that goal, they think they're at the top of the mountain when in fact they've just begun their journey. And then they see the chasm between first degree black belt and second degree black belt, which might be many, many years. And they go, ugh. And they quit. It's binary and it's fleeting. Many, be many people become worse not long after achieving a goal because the end result was more important than who they had to become to reach a particular goal. Look at bodybuilders. Look at people who train for a, a physique competition. They go through all the hard work. They become awesome in their physique. They get the dieting down. They get the cut part down. They get the bulk part, whatever. Then they do the competition. And then afterwards, it's they get to eat everything they have been putting off for the last six, eight, 12 months. It's binary. Goal setting should not be about the end result as much as it needs to be about the systems that we're lacking in the first place. What systems need to be created to achieve a particular goal or result? And who do we have to become as a person to reach that goal? When we do that, goal setting becomes far more about the processes than the end result. As James Clear says, the purpose of setting goals is to win the game. The purpose of creating systems is to keep playing the game. If you really want to grow, my friends, you've got to fall in love with the process, not with the end result. Cheers to falling in love with the process. And until next week, my friends, I'm out.